Well, good morning, everybody. It's uh, great to be with you guys again this morning, and I uh, hope you're enjoying our series in First Peter. I've been so enjoying looking at this and looking at Peter's life and delving into what makes him tick, uh, how he met Jesus and how that changed everything. And now we're looking at his first letter to us this week. And so, but before we do that, today is Father's Day. So I want to say happy, fa- happy Father's Day to all you fathers, grandfathers, uh, mentors in here. Thank you so much for all the ways in which you uh, love your, you know, your sons, your grandchildren, those under your care. And I wanted to start our time with an appreciation story about something that my dad did that, that blessed me. That just completely rocked me, changed me, and I'm still thinking about it to this day. And this is one of my favorite memories, and I try to return to it as often as I can to kind of, as I'm learning how to keep my mind in that state of joy and peace. And I'm, I'm still learning that, but this is one of those memories I go to often. So in sixth grade, I had this teacher who was a believer. Didn't know that until, you know, after I finished sixth grade, but she was a believer. And I went to a public school my whole life. And uh, so this sixth grade teacher was so uh, just awesome. And she had us read in school, Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe. Any of you guys ever read that book before? Oh my gosh, what a great book. And I remember reading it and just loving the lion Aslan. Every time we read about him, I just wanted to know more. I'm like, who is this lion that we're reading about? Who was this mysterious lion? Why did I feel such wonder and awe as I heard his name? And as a sixth grader, I didn't really know Jesus all that well yet. I'm just starting my walk with him at that point. And I didn't, honestly, I didn't even make the connection that Aslan represented Jesus. I didn't, I didn't see that. I just knew whenever we talked about Aslan in class, I'm like, I love that lion. I want to know that lion more. There's something so special and so significant about that lion. Well, as the story progresses... Aslan gives his life for Edmund, the traitor. And I remember reading that, and I was like, what in the world? Why would Aslan do that? That's not fair. And I remember being crushed as a kid that why would, why would he do that? Well, as I kept read, reading in class, my little heart soared because Aslan, as we know from the story, doesn't stay dead. The stone table breaks, death is reversed, and Aslan comes back to life. He then rushes onto the scene, defeats the white witch, leads his armies to victory, and puts all things back to rights in Narnia. And I just loved that story as a 12-year-old. As you could tell, I still love it to this day. Well, as we finished that story in class, our teacher's like, there's another book. There's a sequel to this. And we started reading Prince Caspian. Because when C.S. Lewis wrote this, he wrote Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, and he never intended to write more. And then others were like, please write more. And so he wrote Prince Caspian as a second book. So we read that second book in class, and I couldn't believe there was another one. And so I was on cloud nine as a kid. And this is where my appreciation story really comes in. So one night, my dad and I went to this bookstore. And I didn't even know there was a bookstore in my town, but he found it. He knew I liked books, and so we went together to this bookstore. And as we were walking around the store, I remember this top shelf, right? Kind of like right where the register was, there was this top shelf. And on the top shelf were the Narnia books. And friends, I only knew that, I only thought there was two books at the time. And I saw on the shelf, and I, I started looking at it, and the lady pulls it down from the shelf. And she's like, do you want to look at this? And I'm like, uh, yeah. I looked at it. There's seven books. I was like, oh my gosh, there's seven? I, I, I know there are two, and I love the two, but there's seven of them, one complete set, just waiting to be bought. And I couldn't believe that they were there. And so my dad saw how excited I got. And he, he's like, let's, let's, uh, let, my son, let my son look at them for a little bit. And I had the complete set in my hands. Well, I flipped it on its end, 40 bucks. I was like, oh. 
you know, my, my little soul was crushed. My heart sank. There's no way my dad was going to spend $40 on a book set for me. This is too expensive, right? We weren't the most, you know, wealthy family in the world at the time or ever. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I'm like, no way. He's not going to spend $40 on this. And so I just put him on the counter and I just, you know, sunk my little head down and just, you know, put on a good show, I guess. And uh, so my dad did the unthinkable, though. He pulled out his wallet and he bought the books for me. And I couldn't believe it. And I, I had all seven Narnia books. I had all seven of them. That was one of the best gifts I was ever given. And I still have those books. They're mint condition. I don't touch them. There's up on my top shelf at home in my office. And I joke around with people. I say, listen, if our house burns down, I get my wife, get my two kids, and I'm getting those books. Everything else, okay, whatever, be replaced, but not those books. Not obviously my wife and kids. And so that's what I would grab. Wife, the kids, and those books. Because they are one of my greatest treasures in this life. And so I just wanted to start our time today by saying, dads, you make an impact. The things you do, you, that, that was such a small thing, probably in my dad's week and my dad's life, but that made such an impact in my life. So here it is 30-something years later, and I still remember it with vivid detail. And it's one of those joy stories that I want to hold on to for the rest of my life because of my dad. So one more time, dads, happy Father's Day. Thank you for the impact that you make on your kids, your grandkids, the kids in your life. Thank you. Okay, let's go home. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I mean, we could, but no, no, there's more. Uh, So as we think about Father's Day today, I want to spend our time focusing on our perfect Heavenly Father. Because that's that's who we're here to focus on today, right? It's our perfect Heavenly Father, how He gave His best Son, His best gift ever, who was His Son, and what our response should be to Him. And wouldn't you know it, as I was thinking and praying about what to share, you get to First Peter, and literally the next section that we're looking at today has everything to do with the Father. I couldn't believe it. I almost fell out of my seat, which is not a smart thing for me to do. Uh, it actually has to do with the Father. I couldn't, I, oh my gosh, I couldn't believe it. And so to honor our Heavenly Father this morning, I want to listen to what Peter tells us about him. Does that sound good? So we're going to listen to what Peter says to us about this Heavenly Father he, that he got to know through Jesus— and all the wonderful things that this father did for him through his son, and then what our response should be with our lives. So our focus today is Father's Day from heaven's perspective. So let's pray, and then we'll dig into this amazing passage. So Father, I want to thank you that you are the perfect father. I want to thank you that as, as a perfect father, you gave us exactly what we needed at just the right time, Lord, which was your son. And he came here, and he lived the perfect life in our place. He willingly went to the cross and he died in our place. And I thank you, Lord, that you orchestrated this even before the world began for our salvation, our redemption. And so, Father, you are such a good father to us. And I pray that as we look at this passage from 1 Peter, that you would give us eyes to see what you're really like, give us ears to hear what you're saying to us, and then give us the uh, ability by our wills to make choices that put you on display with our lives, to our families, to our friends, to our neighbors, to people watching our lives. I pray, Father, that you would fill us so much to overflowing with yourself that you just bleed out of us into the lives of others. And so, Lord, take this passage now and use it to strengthen us and build us up in our faith. And thank you that you are the perfect Father, and we can look to you today. In your name, amen. All right, friends, so as we come to this passage this morning, I want us one more time to keep two truths in mind. The first truth is what our Heavenly Father has done for us through Jesus— 
And then our second truth is, what's our response? What do we do knowing that, okay? What he did for us, what's our response in him? That's going to be our focus. And as we read through this, I want to just look at the whole passage quick because Peter kind of flips back and forth, back and forth, back and forth in this passage between those two ideas. So take a look at what I mean here. It's up on the screen. It says this, 1 Peter 1, 17 through 21. If you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Now that's, that's our response to him, right? Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. In other words, that's what he did for us, right? Through Jesus, who through him are believers in God. That's our response to him with his help. Who raised him from the dead and gave him glory. That's what he did for us through Jesus, so that your faith and hope are in God. That's our response to him. So you see how it kind of goes back and forth, back and forth? Well, I'm kind of a linear guy, you know, step by step by step. And so what I want to do is order this so that first we see all that the Father did for us, right? Because we got to remember that. Because if we're ever going to do number two, which is give our lives to him and and follow him in our exile, right? We got to know what he did for us first. Because what he did for us leads us into that second action. So one, what he did for us. Two, our response to him, right? Sound good? All right, let's do this. So our first focal point today is what our Father has done for us through Jesus. And so Peter gives us four things here that our Father has done for us through Jesus. Here they are, just so you, they're on your notes as well. But number one, he foreknew Jesus, and then he sent Jesus here, number two. The Father then received Jesus' work on our behalf, number three. And then the Father raised Jesus from the dead, and that's number four. So let's look at each of those four. This is what our Father has done for us. The first truth we see is that the Father foreknew Jesus. We get that from 1 Peter 1, verse 20a. Sorry, this, this, like I said, it's going to jump around just a smidge, but we'll get it. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. So the Father knew Jesus before the foundation of the world. Nothing like a little uh, light theology to start our Father's Day, right? The Father foreknew Jesus before the world even began. And so as we look at the collective truths of the Bible, this is what we're seeing here, that the Father and Jesus had this permanent, eternal relationship with the Spirit before the world ever began. We see this in in other scriptures as well, like John 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him not anything was made that was made. In him was life, and his life, and that life was the light of men. So John tells us there that in the beginning was Jesus and that Jesus was with God and was God. He was with God at the beginning. All things were made through Jesus and there was not anything made outside of Jesus making it. He's the one that made these things. And in Jesus is life. Don't you just love that truth that in him is the life that we're looking for? So there's no life apart from him. He is the life. So if we want life, we get him. He is the life. And Jesus' life is the light of men. So the Bible teaches us very, very beautifully. Never, never quite uses the word Trinity, but it teaches the Trinity, Genesis to Revelation, that there's one God who exists eternally as Father, Son, and Spirit. 
The Father's God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and yet there's a distinction, right? So if you draw a triangle on your page and put God right in the middle and then put Father up here, Son over here, and Spirit here, you can say, draw an arrow that the Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God, and then on the sides, right, the Father's not the Son, the Son's not the Spirit, the Spirit's not the Father, right? If you want to draw a little illustration, it's kind of helpful right? And so there's this one God that eternally exists in three persons. And so when Jesus is praying on earth, he's not schizophrenic, right? He's not just talking to himself. He's talking to his Father, right? Because there's a distinction of, of persons within the Trinity. And the best illustration I've ever heard of this is love. Love, right? Augustine said that love is like a trinity, or is a trinity in a sense. To have love in its fullness, you have a lover, the beloved, and what they share, which is love. Thanks, Tim, for putting that up there. You have a lover, the beloved, and what they share. You need all three to make this one thing called love. Take anyone out, and how do, you, how do you have a lover and a beloved without love? You have to take that word love out of it. It mangles the words, right? It's just this, this concept that there's one God who is love. Colossians 1 says it like this. He is the invisible, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things are created in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. So this passage in Colossians is telling us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. The word firstborn there doesn't mean first created, as some cults teach. It means first in rank or preeminence. He is the preeminent one. He's the one that's always existed alongside the Father and the Spirit. For by Jesus, all things were created, and he's before all things, and he's holding all things together. So are we, are we getting the picture here that on this first Father's Day, as we're talking about here, that the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, God the Son, always existed, was in the beginning with God, or back to Peter's words, he was foreknown by God before the foundation of the world. This means that they had this eternal relationship between the Father, Son, and Spirit before the world was even made. And then in that relationship, they decided that Jesus, God the Son, was going to come here, take on something he didn't have prior, which was human flesh, and he was going to live this perfect life and die for us. He's the lamb that's slain before the foundation of the world, as it says elsewhere. So it's incredible to think about the lengths that our Father went to through Christ and through the Spirit applying it to us, to bring us into right relationship with him. Did you ever stop to think that your salvation was planned before the world was even made? That's nuts. Before this world was even here, God knew, the Father, the Son, the Spirit knew how we were going to use our free choice, that we would use it against him. And before the world was even made, he had a plan in place to save us through his Son and apply it by the Holy Spirit. That's, that's, that's amazing. So what kind of a father do we have that loves us that much, to give us that free will so we can freely choose to be in relationship with him, who loves us so much that when we use that against him, that he would already have in place the plan of our redemption completely, totally to save us. That's amazing. So not only does the, does, is Jesus foreknown by the Father before the world is even made, number two, the Father sends Jesus to earth, right? This is incredible. The Father sends Jesus here. We see this in verse 20b. Peter tells us that Jesus was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. So during his time here, Luke tells us that Jesus is about his father's business. John tells us that the only thing Jesus says was what he heard his father saying. 
The only thing Jesus did was what he saw his father doing, right? So think about that. Everything Jesus said, everything Jesus did was because his eyes were on his father. He was imitating his father. He was seeing and listening to his father. That's pretty heavy on a Father's Day, right? For us to think about the kind of impact we have on our kids. They're watching us for good or for ill. That's a scary thought, and I thank God that we have a Savior to save us from the times we blow it, right? But Jesus' eyes were completely on the Father all the time. He did nothing on his own initiative. And as we know, Jesus lives a perfect life. He perfectly submitted to his Father in everything. And even though the cross meant horrific suffering, he entrusted himself to the Father over and over again, saying, not my will, but yours be done. And he goes to the cross. And when he's on that cross, he becomes sin itself. He takes all the world's sin, all my sin, all your sin, all of our sins into himself on the cross, and he becomes sin itself. The Father allows Jesus to become the sin offering that we needed to be right with him. So on the cross, we see the love and justice, the grace and mercy of God in vivid detail. God is seen as both the just and the justifier of the one that has faith in Christ. How could God do away with sin without doing away with us? He couldn't. That's why he needed, that's why the sacrifice on our behalf was needed. The cross was the only way that our sin could be dealt with adequately. So not only did the Father foreknow Jesus before the foundation of the world and planned our salvation, and not only then did he send the Son to this earth, right? But number three, the Father received the Son's work on our behalf. Isn't that good news, friends? The Father received the good, all the work of Jesus to save me, to save you, to save all of us. He received that work. What a good Father. And what a good sacrifice that Jesus did so that the Father could receive that. And we see that in verses 18 and 19. Peter tells us, "...knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things," such as silver or gold, but with his precious blood, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Gosh, I love this. Jesus ransomed us from all the sin and all the nastiness that we received from our forefathers. Just think for a moment. All the, all the propensities, all the, all the things that we've observed from our fathers, our grandfathers, all, that, all the negative stuff that we kind of received from that. Jesus took all that in himself. That's, that's amazing. And certain members of my family, they love to do genealogies. Any of you guys like to do genealogies here? Kind of a fun study. I don't know if I see any hands. Maybe there are. Uh, but, but certain people in my family, they love that stuff. They eat it up. And so it's, it's fascinating to them to watch what former family members did. It's even more fascinating to see when was the first person in your family line, when did they come to know Christ? And to just see the difference in your family tree after that. Coming to Jesus has the power to completely rewrite your family tree. That's amazing. So Jesus grafts us into his family now. We become part of his family. He gives us a new name and a new identity in him. And Peter tells us he doesn't do this with perishable things like silver or gold. He couldn't. Silver or gold, how much, how much is, is, is our soul and our spirit, how much is that worth in money? Like, it, that doesn't work out. But he gave his very life like a lamb on our behalf. Remember last week we were talking about this, how the entire Bible, Genesis to Revelation, points to Jesus, right? Well, as we put those kind of glasses on and look at the Old Testament, we see some amazing things about this sacrifice system 
in the Old Testament. So let's think back to Exodus real quick. If you guys have read Exodus recently, gosh, there's Jesus literally just every page of that. So the children of Israel are in bondage to a cruel and merciless Pharaoh. They cry out to God, God, help us, save us. And he sends a deliverer to them who leads them out of Egypt and into freedom. And when they're free, God gives them a bunch of commands, the Ten Commandments, right? Plus 613 commandments, right? That's a lot of commandments. And he gives them the tabernacle, the blueprints for a tabernacle. Basically, how could a holy God be in this, this people's midst, midst without destroying them? Because he's holy, and well, they're not, right? Yet. So they had to follow the directions to a T. So if any of you guys have ever seen the tabernacle or the temple blueprints, this stuff is, is incredible. So inside the tabernacle was this place called the Holy of Holies, and the Ark of the Covenant was in there, right? So think of the Ark like this big box with this lid on it, and the lid had these two angels kind of over, you know, kind of built into it, overlooking the ark. And God's presence was said to be residing right in the midst of that, kind of above the ark and above that lid. Well, what was inside that ark, if you took the lid off, a couple of things were inside it, but for, for sake of conversation, were the Ten Commandments. And so if God's presence was above that ark and inside that box were the Ten Commandments, every time God's presence would just look down, he would see the commands and he would remember, oh man, my people have broken those. And so, as we know from the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go into that place. He'd have to offer all these sacrifices and make sure they're done just, excuse me, just the right way. And he would have to literally take a, a blood inside to that place. And it couldn't just be from any sacrifice, any animal. It's like, oh yeah, that one's kind of mangy and dirty and broken, busted up like, just take him, right? Just off him. No, it had to be a perfect lamb perfect sacrifice. No blemishes, no, no, no issues with it at all. They couldn't, have God, they couldn't give God their second best. They had to give their absolute best. No issues, no spots, no blemishes. And so imagine this, guys, right? So here's that, that big box, the, the, uh, the, the cover, the mercy seat, and that high priest would go and he would put blood right there on the mercy seat. And God's presence here, instead of just looking down and seeing the broken commands— what would he be looking through with the blood right there on the mercy seat? Starts with B, ends with blood, <laughs> right? He'd be looking through blood, right? So instead of just looking down and seeing the broken commands and being like, oh, my people broke my commands, one day a year, they would, the sacrifice, this, this, this beautiful sacrifice would be made and other times as well, but they would put the blood right there on the mercy seat. So God's presence, when he looked down, would be looking through blood. That is incredible. And so later books of the Bible tell us that these sacrifices couldn't actually save them. They were a covering until the final sacrifice, the final payment would come. Now, if that's all kind of like Bible language, let me see if I can make sense of it with this right here. Everyone see what this is? It's my wallet. Please don't come up here and take it. <laughs> Not a lot in it, right? Everyone see this here? Credit card. Actually, it's a debit card, but for sake of illustration, this is a credit card, right? So imagine we go to the store, and we want to buy something. We're like, ooh, that's nice. I like that. And you look, you're like, oh, I just don't have enough money, though. Well, I got a credit card. So here, put it on the card, right? What happens three weeks after you do that? What do you get in the mail? A bill. And what do you have to do at that point? Actually, whip out some cash. I think I have like a dollar in here. Woo! Yeah, whip out some cash, and you actually have to put it inside an envelope and send it to pay the bill, Right? It was covered by the credit card until someone could pay the bill. That's exactly what Jesus did, right? These sacrifices 
covered our bill. They didn't pay for it, right? But it covered it until someone could come who actually could pay our bill. Now think of this in heaven. Think of heaven as if there is a, every time we sin, imagine if that bill just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So those sacrifices covered the bill, but they didn't pay for them. And someone had to come to actually pay that bill. Someone who was incredibly wealthy, who would literally lay down his life as a perfect, spotless, blameless lamb with his very own life to pay that bill for us. Now, who in the world could we ever get to do that for us? Oh, we didn't have to get anyone to do it. Jesus willingly did it for us with his very life. And that's exactly what he did. He comes on the scene. He calls himself the what of God. It's an animal, kind of furry, cute, the lamb of God. He is that lamb. He sheds his blood on the cross for the life of the creature. It's in its blood, and it's been given and so that our souls can be saved. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Well, there's this amazing verse in Colossians I've got to show you with this. Here it is. Take a look. Colossians 2, 3, 13 through 14. It says this, And you who are dead in the trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. This, friends, is absolutely amazing. Our sin debt that big, long, nasty, huge bill of sin against the holy God was nailed to the cross and paid by Jesus on our behalf. When Jesus said that word to telestai, which means it is finished, do you know what that meant in that day? When someone would pay off a bill, they would have a receipt, and on the bottom of the bill, when it was paid in full, they would stamp to telestai, which meant paid in full. So when Jesus on the cross, his last words before he, well, one of his last words before he dies is to telestai, saying it is finished. Another thing he was saying was paid in full. That is incredible. That is the good news. So when Jesus died, he paid for every one of our sins. So that's why Peter's getting so fired up in this section. If you can't tell, I think he's pretty fired up as he's writing this. Jesus paid for all our sins with his precious blood, like that of a lamb without blemish, or spot. So not only did the Father foreknow Jesus, and not only did he send him to earth, and not only did he receive payment on his behalf, right? How did he show that? Number four, or D, I think it is, he raised Jesus from the dead. And we see that in verse 21b. Peter tells us that he raised him from the dead and gave him glory. So how amazing is that? Jesus was raised from the dead and the Father was basically saying to us, I received his payment on your behalf. He paid the sin debt in full, and it was received by the Father. Now, any of you guys in here like to do taxes? Any of you guys love tax time? I don't see a whole lot of hands going up for that one. I don't think anybody likes tax time. I mean, if you like tax time, let's talk. I hate tax time, right? We have to pay taxes on everything, practically. I'm not a huge fan, as you could tell, but we have to. And I use an online program to do it. And let me tell you, one of the greatest feelings in all the world is a couple days later, you get that email saying, guess what? Your taxes were received. Your federal and your state taxes have been received. Don't you feel good at that moment? You're like, oh, thank God. I don't have to worry about this for another, you know, 
10 and a half months or 11 months. What a load off. My payment was received. Well, aren't you glad that in heaven, our payment has been received? The Bible is our receipt that the payment has been received, that the debt has been paid in full. It was received by the Father. And what's the Father do? He raises his son from the dead. Payment received. So Peter tells us the Father received the payment. Jesus is raised from the dead. And Jesus is given incredible glory because of this and through this. And that's exactly what Jesus should get from this, right? Is incredible glory that's massive and immense and wonderful as his goodness is to us. So friends, that's what our Father did for us. And wouldn't you know it, that just lines up beautifully with what day it is today. It's Father's Day. We get the chance to focus on our fathers, take a look at how good our Father is. This is what our Father has done for us, to bring us into his family. And he didn't just do it for us, but for everybody in the whole world. Everybody's payment is has been paid through Christ, and all they have to do now is receive this gift. Now, sometimes people say, you know what? I don't want it. And you got to pay that, bit, that debt, and it's crazy big. But this is what our Father did for us through his Son. So my prayer on this Father's Day is that we would see the great lengths that our Father went through to bring us into his family. This is how far he would go to make sure that we were in his family. So talk about a great Father we have, right? So Father, happy Father's Day. Thank you for being such a good father. So my next thought is, well, Father, what kind of gift is adequate to give to a good father like you? I mean, what can we actually give a father this great? And this is where Peter goes next, and this is where we'll end for today. So our second point we want to see, kind of big picture, is what should our response be with our lives? This is where Peter kind of focuses us in the end here. He says this, verse 21a, who through him are believers in God. So don't you just love that? It's not because we were so smart or so great that we figured the salvation thing out. It's because of him. It's through him that we are believers in God. So our only role in that is to receive that gift. So friends, if you've not received this gift, please, if there's something getting in the way of that, whatever it is, please talk to someone. Receive this gift. This is a good gift from our good Father. Our only role in, is, in this is receiving a gift from him. And we honestly couldn't even do that without the Father drawing us to himself. So knowing that should lead us to thanksgiving, should, know us, should lead us to appreciation for all he did for us, right? That's kind of our first response is thanksgiving, appreciation, and receiving that gift. Our second response here kind of shows that, verse 21c. So your faith and hope are in God. So because of all the Father's done for us through Jesus, our faith and our hope are in him. When our faith meets the right object, Jesus, we're born again. I like to watch the Disney Channel sometimes, <laughs> True Confessions. I like a lot of shows on there. Uh, Disney's kind of a cool channel. And uh, they got Disney Plus out. If any of you guys like Disney Plus, it's pretty cool. So anyway, you're, you're flipping through those old shows. And there's sometimes like the, like the Christmas specials and things, the, the, kind of the theme of the Christmas special would be I just have faith. Just have faith. Just have faith. Just believe. Just believe. And I'm like, in what? <laughs> just have faith in faith. Uh, no, that's kind of around the circle. Just have belief in belief. No, that doesn't work either. No, faith is always in something. Belief is always in something, right? Our faith and our hope are in him, in what he's done for us. So as those who are born again, 
we're going to start looking like our Heavenly Father in our lives and our actions. Our faith and hope are living, as First Peter tells us in this letter. And so it's meant to change us from the inside out. Quick example. If I were to bring my wife up here, and then I were to go get my kids out of, you know, kids' ministry and brought my kids up here, and you put my wife here, my beautiful wife and myself, strapping young man and my two kids, you could tell pretty quick that my wife and I, you know, that these are our kids, right? It's, it's very clear. There's no, there's no getting around that. They are our kids, right? God's our father. He's our father. Guess what we're going to start looking like more and more through our lives? Our father, right? In our character, our conduct, our actions, our attitudes. If he really is our father, we're going to start looking like him a little bit more, right? What's that look like? That's our last point for today. Verse 17. This is kind of what it looks like now. Here's our response. If you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of our exile. Here's our last point. So because of Jesus, he is our father now. Our father doesn't play favorites with us. He judges our deeds impartially, not for salvation, because that's been settled, but for rewards. And since we've been born again to a living hope, and since we are now in him and he is in us, he he is going to enable us by his spirit to start looking like him in our character, our conduct, our speech, our actions, in our lives. Or as Peter tells us, conduct ourselves with fear through the time of our exile. So Peter said it last week really well. He said, be sober-minded about this. We're not to be flippant about this new life that we have from the Father in the Son. This literally cost him everything. We're not to be flippant about that. We're meant to be growing in him. We are meant to take our walk with him seriously, right? To, have a, to, have a, uh, to be really like, wow, like he really did all this to save me. And so what's that look like in my life? to be reckoning our old, our old self dead to sin because of Jesus' work. Like, we really died with him. The old us is dead. We were really buried with him. The old us really is buried. We were really raised with him. We're really new in him. He's in us, and we're in him. So we are to present ourselves to God as living sacrifices, as those who have been brought from dead to life, and say, Lord, here I am. Use my life for your glory. Use my life. Fill me with yourself. Express your very life through me like an instrument right? Put all these instruments up on stage. See them all behind me here, right? They're nice instruments, but unless the worship team actually comes up here and gets behind them and starts playing them in sync with each other, they're, they're, they're nice instruments, but they're just sitting there, right? So he calls us instruments. He's like, present yourself as an instrument of righteousness so that he can, he can play his life and his, his very presence through us. That makes sense? That's what he's calling us to to present our bodies to him as instruments of righteousness for him to fill and express himself through. So like we said before, we're to see our life in Jesus not as a slice of pie, of the whole pie, but as the bicycle wheel, the spoke, you know, the thing in the center and then all the spokes. Like he is that center and everything else expresses him. So remember that we are in exile here. This isn't our home. I'm kind of glad for that. The world is not our home. The values of this world, as we can see in vivid display all the time. They're not to be our values. And Jesus, he is calling us to be different, to be set apart, and with his help to be living lives that honor him because he's worthy of that. And we can only do that with him and through him. So on this Father's Day, my encouragement to all of us is to remember how good of a father we have. He really is a good father. That we would say, Lord, thank you so much for all that you've done 
for me. Before the world was made, you had this plan in place, and you sent Jesus, he died, and you raised him. Thank you for that. And Lord, as a result, Father, as a result, I want to give my life to you, that you would fill and use it however you see fit. That's my hope today on this Father's Day, that we really would see it from Jesus's perspective, that we would see it from heaven's perspective. So last question, and then we're out. I think we have a closing song, actually. How is God speaking to us today? How is he speaking to us this morning? Perhaps you're here and you haven't received the Father yet. What are you waiting for? (laughs) Please, if there's something getting in the way, this Father loves you so much that he would literally move heaven and earth to come here to remove all the stuff out of the way so we can come home to him. Or perhaps our application this week, if we have received this Father, is to receive his love, to know that he loves us in the depths of our being. If we don't know that, ask him to, to, sh- to open our eyes to see it, right? What's he calling us to believe in this morning? What's he calling us then as a result of belief to do? Perhaps we ask the Lord for his direction and guidance regarding our next steps as individuals, as a family, as a church. He really is a good father, and he really does speak into our lives because he loves us, right? He's not playing hide-and-go-seek with his will, right? Don't you love that? He's not playing hide-and-go-seek, like, oh, I'm going to hide it. Oh, you just missed it. I just said it, but you, yeah, you got to wait another 10 years. Maybe you'll hear that whisper, that one next time. No, he's not playing hide-and-go-seek like that, right? He's a good father. He loves to speak with us and lead us and guide us. And so however he's speaking to us this morning, my prayer is that we would celebrate our perfect heavenly father today and live lives that bring him glory so other people can see what he's like through our lives. So one more time, guys. Happy Father's Day. Let's pray. So, Father, one more time, I want to thank you for being such a good father to us. Thank you for doing all these wonderful things outlined in this passage. Thank you, Lord, that you did all of that to bring us home to you. And so, Lord, I pray that our response would be to just talk with you this week, to listen to you, to see what you want to do in us and through us to see where you're going and to join you. Jesus, the only way you lived was hearing what the Father said and saying it and seeing what the Father was doing and doing it. So Lord, I pray that you would help us learn that, to sit with you, to listen, to see where you're going and go there. Whatever that looks like, Lord, for us as individuals and families and as a church and in this area, Lord, I just pray that you guide us in that. So Lord, we love you. Thank you for first loving us. Thank you that Father's Day really truly is all about you, the perfect Father. And I pray for all the fathers here today that you would enable us to receive your love deeply so we can love our kids deeply, that we would receive your favor and your grace and your acceptance and all the things that are in you so we can pass them on to our kids. And Lord, when we blow it, which we will, help us run back to the cross, preach the gospel to our own hearts, and thank you one more time that we can worship you today on this Father's Day. So Father, one more time, happy Father's Day. Thank you for loving us first. In your name, amen. Travis, thank you for an awesome, awesome Father's Day message. And as, uh, as Travis was, was closing uh, this morning, I was just thinking, what is it that we as children, no matter what our age, what is it that we desire to hear from our own earthly fathers? I'm proud of you. And I'm thinking about... John the Baptist, as he baptized Jesus, dove descends and the Father's voice is heard. And what does the Father say? This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. I want you to know, no matter what your relationship is with 
your earthly father, no matter whether you've ever heard the words, I am proud of you, your heavenly father is speaking those words over you right now. He is proud of you. He is well pleased with you. If you don't know Jesus, if you have not surrendered, if you want to hear those words spoken over you, let us take the opportunity and talk this morning. Don't leave here without knowing that God is speaking that over you right now. If you're new to Bethlehem Community Church, we'd love to meet you. Come up front, please. And if you want prayer, we're here as well. God bless you all. Have an amazing week and a wonderful Father's Day. God bless you all.